Hello, everyone. Um, this is the Fully Charged Cast, Episode 7. Uh, this is your host, Joe, and I'm also accompanied by Frank. What up? And uh, unfortunately, Brent is having monitor issues, so he's not joining us today, and Matt had to go to work, which is fine. So we just were going to just do a podcast because we haven't been as frequent about it as we should be, and we want to make sure that you know you guys you know have a chance to listen to us talk. Isn't that right? That's one way to put it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, Frank, what have you been up to lately? Uh, it's a lot of working, but as far as the pop culture stuff, finally saw Kong, which was pretty good. It's it's a movie. Didn't upset me. It had uh, big animals in it. And uh, video game-wise, still playing Elite. And uh, Battlefield and the Switch, whatever I can think of on that, like Splatoon, is really good. We'll get to that later, though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, like, since you're speaking of the Switch, I actually just bought that um, last week, so it's been fun. I bought Splatoon 2, and then I also have Ultra Street Fighter 2, which I've been able to play online against people. I'm starting to find out that a lot of people, I don't think actually know how to play Street Fighter, so it's been fun. I've been actually beating people. It's been pretty easy. Um... But other than that, like, I guess other things I've been doing is I've been actually going back through Netflix and watching some older anime and that sort of thing. I don't, I don't know why, I just, like, I feel like I'm pretty far behind in a lot of stuff, and so I felt like this is better for me just to catch up on Netflix before going back and watching the new stuff on Crunchyroll, even though there's stuff on there I want to watch too. So, yeah. I guess that's what I've been doing lately. You gotta love that Crunchyroll. Oh, Yeah. So I guess uh, we'll just kick it off with, um, let's just talk about the Switch a bit. Um, I guess I'm kind of surprised by it because I didn't think I was actually going to buy one so soon. Um, for some reason, I just had this inkling to just get one one day. I was like, man, I really want to get one. I think it was about a month ago. I just really wanted to just get one for some reason. And also, it was pro- probably because I knew Pokemon Tournament was getting released again for it. So I really want to get it for that reason. But I mean, I don't know, what's your take on it right now? Now the Switch is 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 a kind of almost like a runaway hit. They've done a fantastic job. Um, Nintendo really learned a lot from the last generation and didn't try to coast on any success or anything. And they they've really done a good job. They just announced recently that Doom is going to get a port to it, which you know, neat. I already played it and beat it, but it's neat that that game is getting to the Switch at all because it's an excellent shooter. And it actually probably will work pretty well if they implement some kind of motion controls. Maybe. Like, maybe the same way they do with Splatoon or something. Um, And then they also announced that Wolfenstein 2 will also be on it, which is kind of shocking. Um, But yeah, that's... uh, And with Skyrim coming out, it's not just going to be just the Nintendo system anymore. It's actually going to have some reasonable games. Do I think it replaces, like, a PS4 or Xbox One? Not really. But it can work alongside them just fine. Yeah, I mean, I thought, like, I hooked up to my TV pretty much right away when I first got it, but I haven't really used it on my TV since. But I will say, it looks pretty good um, on my TV. And then just, like, portable-wise, like, uh, playing Splatoon 2 and uh, on there, was it's been pretty good for me. I don't use the motion controls myself. It just really, it feels weird to me. So I still use the joystick, but... it's. It's worth getting used to them, just as an aside. Like, I didn't like them at first, but now that I'm used to them, it makes the game a lot easier to... Because they don't do... A, there's no aim assist or anything. Everything's really binary with the directions. So it makes it a little easier to play. You just use that the sticks for turning, but the 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 motion for aiming. You get used to it. Yeah. It took a while, though. Yeah, I guess I just got to kind of put myself through that just because I'm used to playing other shooters on like PlayStation 4 and just yeah. used to like Siege and that sort of thing so oh Siege we gotta play Siege again Siege today but yeah to get back on the Switch though I don't know, I'm pretty excited to actually own one because I actually don't own, own a portable either I don't own a Nintendo 3DS or anything like that so I felt like you know it's something that I can use when I'm traveling and I've also had friends who you know they don't game at all but they decided to buy a Switch just because they like Zelda. And they honestly have been playing it hours on end. And, and they don't consider themselves gamers at all. 
So, I mean, I think it's just something that Nintendo finds that crew of people or that consumer base that they don't call themselves gamers or play much, but they always get the sales and can become popular and, you know, they can recover from not getting the hardcore gamers as much, in my opinion. And plus, they get them as well, so... Yeah. I don't know. No, they... Nintendo really... They they have a certain charm to them, and everybody knows who they are too, and that really helps. I think um, they have a a pull with everybody, and in Zelda, everyone knows Zelda, and this is the best Zelda game made in a long time. I would be I don't really put much stock into things like game awards, but I'd be really surprised if uh, this Zelda didn't get like pretty much every award you could get um, for its category. Yeah, I still need to pick it up. Uh, I haven't had, I just haven't bought it yet, but I know I should. So, yeah. So, yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about the Switch? I mean, it's doing really well. It's yeah. not as hard to find, it seems, as, as uh, you would think, but it's doing really well, and for Nintendo especially. So, it's, even if you have an Xbox or a PlayStation or a PC, it's worth having it. It's distinct enough. Pokemon yeah. Tournament looks great. I know you're excited about that, too. Yes, I am. I'm really excited about Pokemon Tournament. Um, I liked it a lot on the Wii. Unfortunately, it wasn't really updated much. So hopefully, from what I understand, is that they plan on doing regular updates. Like So they're going to bring it up to what, what the arcade standard is, and they're going to keep pushing out updates since then, because I do know that they want the game to actually last longer than not even a year on the Wii U, but hopefully they want it to last longer than that with the with the switch i'm guessing so i would hope so <laughs> well they i'm pretty sure when that came out on the wii u they were already kind of like yeah the switch will be out next year we'll just focus on that yeah well i mean so. that's the thing is like they probably already knew what was going to happen next it's just that they just wanted to get it out there for the wii u just so that there could be some exposure for the game and i think the people that needed to play it already played it and so mm-hmm. now this just builds up the hype for those people, plus the people who haven't had a chance to play it since they didn't own a Wii U, since it didn't sell that well to begin with, they get to play it now too. So oh, yeah. I think it's, uh, it was a, I mean, it's not the greatest strategy in my opinion, but I think it works. So. No, they, no, they were already building assets for it. I will say yeah. this, if you don't, if you don't know what this game is, Pokemon Tournament is play on like Tekken, but it's a Pokemon fighting game using the characters from Pokemon. It's pretty fun. It's simple, it looks nice, it plays well, and uh, it's surprisingly deep for a Nintendo-made fighter. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, it definitely has a combo system. It's a pretty easy one, but it can get complicated too. I think it's just like, it's an easy entry level to play, or not much of a learning curve, but like to get really good at it, you do need to know like how to play a fighting game, to be quite honest. And I need to know about spacing and yeah. you know stuff like that. It's zones, you know. Yep. All that basic stuff. Basic fighting game stuff. Uh, frames, all all the good things. So. Oh yeah. Well, if you want to be super competitive, yes. Yes. Why well, everyone does. Everyone. Oh okay. All right. Everyone well, cares about I'm sure, that stuff. I'm sure the many children that will be playing this game that will you'll just be pounding into the dirt are definitely going to appreciate that that frame I mean, advantage. I mean, I'm already pounding them in the dirt in Street Fighter Two, I guess. Which I'm curious. yeah, that's fair. <laughs> because I'm like when I'm playing against someone, I'm like oh, I like I question like is this person twelve years old? Because I feel bad right now because they yeah. play so bad. Like it's just yes. literally this. It's just medium kick. I played one person. All they did was medium kick. That sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah I know that. I know <laughs> that. Uh, you haven't lived until you've gotten the the fierce uppercut, uh, Ken, just over and over and over again. <laughs> The thing is, like, that shit's actually hard to play against sometimes because you're not used to it sometimes. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. I'm not used to someone just medium kicking the whole fucking time. I'm used to someone actually trying to do a move. So, I mean, it works one round, but then you know how to play against it. So, unfortunately for them, yeah. they lose. So. For sure. But yeah, I think we should uh, move on from the Switch. Uh, so, I know Frank had some things to talk about when it comes to Shadow of War. Uh, I'll let you take it away on that one. Okay, so back to the 2014 um, Monolith. Uh, is it Studios? It's not Software. One of those ones. The, one, another, the other Monolith makes like the Xeno games, but um, 
they made uh, Shadow of War for WB, which is in the Lord of the Rings Hobbit universe. And it was pretty cool. It had some really neat systems. It was kind of a sleeper hit. Uh, it sadly came out right around Destiny, so didn't sell as well as maybe as it could have. But it was still well-received and pretty awesome. And I'm just finally getting around to beating it, and I kind of wish I'd played it before. Uh, cue to now, they've got a sequel coming out called Shadow of War um, on October 10th when that comes out. And um, everyone was excited about it until they announced that there was going to be microtransactions, which is our segue into kind of a general microtransactions discussion. So Shadow of War is a single-player game. Primarily, it has kind of like a base defense online mode, but it's not really like a direct competitive mode. Um, and people are really upset because the microtransactions are what a lot of games do now, uh, which is essentially have what's called a loot crate, where you open up a box of items and there's a bunch of stuff in it um, that may or may not be useful to you or things you may already have. Um, it'll cost real world money to get um, and I guess there's an in-game currency that you can get them with as well but it sounds like it would be time consuming to do so which is typical um, but the biggest piece of controversy with Shadow of War is one of the developers had passed away during development and to honor him uh, the other developers put in a special character that anyone can get if they pay $5, um, and he'll be in the game. And I guess some of the scuttlebutt about that is $3.50 goes towards the family um, of the person, of the deceased, but uh, that leaves $1.50 going to the developers. And I think some folks who don't understand basic economics and... Uh, Profit margins are really upset about that and decrying Warner for how dare they try to make money off something people put money into making. Um, if you want to take over for a bit, Joe. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, when it comes to just microtransactions in general, it's like it does cost some money to create a product. And I mean, yeah, it's to help support someone's family, like in their time of need. Like, I mean, they just lost a loved one, but at the same time, I mean, it is business. So, I mean, I don't fault them at all for charging five bucks and not all the money going towards the family because it costs money to keep this stuff up there. It costs money to produce the product. And so, I mean, you know, it's business. It's just, unfortunately, it's just the way it is. And I mean, if they, if the thing is, the only other thing they could have done is that fit free DLC, but the thing is, then there's, it goes, it helps no one. So, at the end of the day, I think they did the right move of just keeping that, you know, $5 and then some of it going, like, splitting it up. Because, I mean, it does cost money to keep DLC up. It costs money to maintain it. If it's glitchy or something bad happens to it, they have to reprogram it. I mean, it's it's work. I mean, whether mm -hmm. how big or how small it is. I mean, the smallest thing can break your fucking game. So, whoops. But, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's true, though. It's, uh... That's true. No, it, it, well, look, um, I mean, I work in marketing and I know there's like a thousand different components that go into anything that gets made and someone's got to get paid for that. Just the trailer alone to, to talk about this would cost a lot of money. And this kind of thing just, it's, it does seem icky and it's in kind of a weird gray area, but it's how it goes. But that leads into microtransactions in general. And I think there are some microtransactions that are okay for games like if you're going to do loot boxes, if it's just cosmetic stuff and it gives no tactical advantage or advantage to the person who spent real money, I don't see any problem with it. There's games like Counter-Strike that have done that for a long time. Overwatch does it, although some people really are mad about that. Um, on the other hand, games that if you don't spend money, you can't win or succeed in them. That's a whole other issue. And um, that's a lot of like MMOs nowadays, not MMOs, but like free to play MMOs. And um, I'm trying to think of some other good examples. Do you have any, Joe? I mean, honestly, I stay away from those games. So I don't have a lot of good examples offhand when it comes to like pretty much pay to win kind of games. So it's like that type of model. Um, I think. H1Z1 was like that at one point when it first came out and it got a lot of controversy and so they kind of stepped back from that um, and I think there was a few other games out there that were like that it's just like you know you get like a better gun 
or better stuff like and the thing is even if it, the microtransaction unlocks like like a weapon that you can unlock in the future i don't care about that but if it's a gun that or some type of item that you can use and no one else can use it unless you pay for it i i have a problem with that so i mean any type of tactical advantage that you can get uh just by paying some doubt some money for it i don't think that's really fair for the person who just wants to you know grind that way to get that item but the thing is if they grind they don't even get that item i don't think that's really fair in the grand scheme no. of the game itself and i'm not even sure what that really does at, at some point i guess a good example of toxic microtransactions would be in a lot of uh, a lot of modern sports games nowadays where um like the uh, EA, team stuff yeah ea has has that and that and then nhl and then like just the, there's in the sports games there's ultimate team modes where you unlock packs of trading cards but the the trading cards are players and you use them in fantasy teams but i mean just based on how they operate and how expensive they can get i mean it's it's pretty much it is gambling straight up and if you take that mode seriously you will not succeed unless you spend real money you don't get the packs at a reasonable rate otherwise now i don't have an issue with say games like hearthstone or gwent or anything like that where you're playing a collectible card game online that buying packs of cards is kind of the whole thing um it's the equivalent of magic the gathering i think that's like the one type of game like that i can kind of get away with it um but uh um yeah anything more to add to, to that particular point i do want to see, keep talking about microtransactions joe but i I'm curious if you have anything else with that. Actually, I just thought about a game that I played not too long ago, uh, Black Blacklight Retribution. That's a game that actually oh, yeah. you do you like if you spend a certain amount of money, it helps you a lot. Like I forgot about that game just because it wasn't yeah. that good. Yeah, but, like that was oh, a game like <laughs> the PlayStation Four was new and we had nothing to play. Yeah, it's like either you played uh, Blacklight or you played Battlefield. Or Call of Duty Ghost, which was horrible. Like Black Call Light, of Duty Spooky Ghost. Like honestly, Blacklight was probably better than uh, than Ghost. I would say because at oh, least that's it was, an easy one. At least it was fun and not like bullshit. So whoops, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Got to get Joe a muzzle or something. Yeah, but anyways, um, yeah. I mean, that's just in general. I just hate games that just like pretty much reward you for spending money like because i mean the thing is i could see why people do it because you get the thrill of winning because you spent some money and the thing is people that have that exposable income if you want to spend it that way that's great but it just doesn't i don't really think that makes a real fun game and it doesn't it takes the skill out of the game too sometimes so i don't know i'm just kind of uh against it a little bit but it's, it is funny when you do play against people that do spend, you know, maybe a thousand, maybe somehow spend like a thousand bucks in a game and they're still awful at it. That's that's always fun, though. Yeah, it's so, karma right there. Yeah. Uh, but this leads into the next part of microtransactions, uh, things like season passes and map packs. So these are kind of a mixed bag because games as they are today and this includes even the other microtransactions should be more expensive i don't want them to be but they should be uh if you go back in time you've got sega genesis games nintendo games those games are hovering around 80 90 dollars um and that's like 1994 money or that's not cheap n64 games you bought pokemon stadium brand new i remember we paid 90 dollars for that and like that's 1998 Ninety dollars. That's I don't know inflation, but that's probably at least over a hundred dollars now. And it's nowadays games are sixty bucks. It's kind of a steal. I don't. I would like a complete product for sixty dollars, but it does not surprise me that we get map packs and season passes and things. I don't really like the practice, just because it does tend to in multiplayer games. If you buy a season pass for those who don't know, it generally unlocks a set of of maps uh, you can play the multiplayer on um and they come out at fixed times and and it'll add more content which is nice but the problem is if people don't buy those map packs or that season pass with those packs all at a discount it fragments the player base something fierce so you end up with less people playing even though the same amount of people are playing so a good example is star wars battlefront from 2015 
I really enjoyed that game. I played that with some friends, and I thought it was uh, was fun. It was you know an arcadey, mindless shooter, but I really liked Star Wars, and I was able to look past some of the faults. Well, the problem was it launched with eh, not a lot of content, at least for a full-featured multiplayer game with no single-player component. Um, they added these really good pieces of content with its season pass, and they were all excellent, but sadly... They didn't integrate at all with the base game. So even if you had the season pass and you were playing with other season pass players, you couldn't play with them because each pack expansion map pack had like its own playlist. So like the first expansion, absolutely nobody plays that now. And the second expansion has almost nobody playing it. The third and fourth still have a fair amount because they're cool, but that's just kind of a crappy way to keep your game alive. Thankfully, they've learned from this. Battlefront 2 is not going to do that. All maps and heroes will be free for everybody. But I, they've already announced they have another way of doing microtransactions, and I'm sure it'll be some kind of either cosmetic or uh, early unlock system or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to go on that point, too, I mean, a game that still does what you're talking about is actually Call of Duty series. They still release map packs, and they do fragment their player base. So it's like you can either play, like, your traditional like team deathmatch or you can play that specific map packs team deathmatch or mm -hmm. whatever expansions you have so i mean the thing is that it kind of limits like whenever you want to play those new maps there's not as many people playing them just because not everyone buys it so mm -hmm. i i i mean i just fragmenting your base in general i don't think is the best idea and it just makes it so that people like it's not resentment but it's more like oh well you know i don't like I can't play with my friend because they have the map pack and they don't want to go back down to the place where I'm at. So it's like then you even you could even fragment friends at that point in my no. It, I mean it's it's happened with us a little bit, like with Battlefield and Battlefront and things like that. I mean I really like playing Battlefield with you uh, with you guys, but and you know we all move on, whatever. But I have the map packs and you guys don't, and like you can join me, but you don't get any experience. That's a neat way to kind of do a concession, but, I mean, the whole point of that game is getting better stuff, so... Well, yeah. Kinda... It's almost like a waste of time, almost, for the people that you play with, though. It's like, so if like, we're playing yeah. with you, it's just like, it's fun to play with each other and all that, but it's also... There should be some reason why we're... Everyone else is getting XP where I get nothing. It's like, it's not... Yeah. It's not the most it's... fair... It's kind of funny when you go back in time where there wasn't XP systems and we oh, just yeah. played to play. But times have changed. That's just how it is. And it's it's uh, now so, now that said, go ahead. I mean, it's all about gratification for some reason because I think it's just because I think a lot of gaming companies or just in general when it comes to like a reward system, like for some reason that's how you get people hooked. And a lot of new games do yep. that, like Overwatch. Um, I mean, Counter-Strike even implements it in some aspects, not really, though. But, like, Call of Duty does it, uh, Battlefield, I mean, you name it, everything has, like, an XP system. I mean, Destiny does, too, where, you know, you get rewarded to go to certain levels, you unlock new things, get new drops, items, all from, like, same thing with, like, MMOs. I mean, it's this reward system, and that's what makes you keep coming back. And so... Yeah. I mean, if you don't get that, then it's like you're almost missing half of the game in the in that way because you don't get to proceed to that next level, that next item that you need or that you want. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a good kind of half measure, but I think they really do need to follow suit like with the next Battlefield and just make the maps free, make less of them, and find another way to monetize. And that said, there are some games that do that quite well. Um, Rainbow Six Siege, uh, which we're all a fan of, all the maps are free. Um, all the operators, the new characters, are technically free. They just cost a lot of the in-game currency. But if you play the game with any regularity, you'll have enough to get them. Uh, and there's only released two at a time. And honestly, I have enough to get all the new ones, even though I bought the optional season pass, which is uh, it gets you a bunch of extra goodies, like extra experience. Or you get like this currency called Renown, but um, you get it at a faster rate if you have that and you get a couple of skins and you get those operators unlocked uh, instantly instead of having to pay for them um, which is kind of cool but everybody gets the map so it doesn't fragment the player base um, so everyone can play with anyone else it doesn't have to do these awkward playlist configurations Titanfall same thing everything's free except for cosmetic items 
And honestly, like that's a good way to do business. They don't release as much new content at a time. Like in comparison, like the Battlefield expansions that have been coming out, each come with six maps, a bunch of new guns, a whole new like operations scenario, which is like a war simulation thing. Um, and uh, for 15 bucks a piece, whereas Siege comes out with one new map, two new operators, which is awesome. I mean, if you play the game, that's quite enough to shake it up, but it's not as much content as the paid ones do. But I feel like it's a great way to do like a kind of in between less content overall, but like it keeps everyone together. I would kind of prefer that. I mean, I agree with that too. I think it's better just to keep everyone together. And also the thing is too, even though like Siege, for example, releases maybe less maps per like season that they do, like maybe two or one, but like at the end of the day, they're usually better quality maps to begin with. Because the thing is like, if you're releasing five maps at a time, like not everyone's gonna be playing all five of those new maps, and and quite frankly, there's probably one or two of them that probably are really bad. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you, I think you get more quality out of the more free options, just because they have to make a decision: what do we want to release, and what's actually going to be popular, because that's what's keeping people to come back. So oh, yeah. they have they have to make sure that those one two one or two maps are actually good. Not like, mm-hmm. oh, well, here's five. You already paid for it, so we already got our money. Oh, well. Like, I yeah. guess you got to buy the next one to get the map you want. So. Yep. Well, that's, the, that's how Call of Duty's been doing it. You know, there's the zombies mode, which is just ludicrously popular, and they just lock it behind these paywalls, where most people that play that mode, they don't care about the multiplayer. So they get four worthless maps and one zombie map. Yep. Yeah, I feel like that's always the tragedy of that. And, I mean, honestly, they should... They want they should separate the two, make them cheaper, make them seven fifty each or something like that, or technically probably ten and five, so that the five dollar one would be zombie, ten could be multiplayer. But I mean that could just be one way to do that. Well, but, they won't though. That's I know I know they won't do that. Money, yeah, sadly. But um, it just but yeah, it could make sense though. But yeah, we talked we talked a lot about microtransactions right there, but I think we should move on if that's okay. Well, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, so. I guess the next topic we want to talk about is this kind of something that we were talking about in our previous podcast about um, kind of like the industry of movie making and the film industry like in Hollywood. And I mean, I don't know if people have heard, but this is supposed to be on record as one of the worst box office years for like for the United States. Um, And so obviously big companies like production companies um, like Paramount, uh, Warner Brothers, all of them, they want to get people back in the theaters to be spending money because honestly, the way that uh, budgets are for filming, it's upwards to like hundreds of millions of dollars just to make these films. But the thing is, they're not recouping that cost because no one's going to see the films. But the thing is, one could say the reason why no one's going is because the films themselves are bad. In some aspects. So, I mean, it's just that whole problem. So, I kind of want to talk a little bit about this one thing called, like, a movie pass. I mean, Frank, have you... Do you know a little bit about it, too? I'm guessing? I mean, I've looked it up a little bit. It seems like it's trying to netflix size the movie-going experience. Uh, you pay, like, a fixed fee. It's, like, $10 or something a month, right? Yeah. And so... then you can... In theaters that support it can go... Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, the way it's supposed to work, it's supposed to work like a debit card in a way. And so it's like a mm-hmm. subscription service where if you pay, like, 10 bucks a month, you can go see a film actually once a day. Obviously, you're not going to do that because no one has the time to do that. But theoretically, you could go to the theater once a day and see a movie with this debit card. You go to the theater and you use it just like you would any other transaction. Um, so technically, you could get your money's worth in about two and a half movies. You could probably pay for your subscription for the month but again obviously they don't bank on you using it and so that's why it's a little bit cheap cheaper because it's kind of like a gym membership like you might use it a lot at first and eventually you just won't use it and then they'll just be making money off of residual people who just have the subscription just to have it but don't actually use it um and also another way that they get money from you too is that you have, you pretty much sell yourself pretty much to them. And so they have the right to collect all the data about you and use that data for marketing towards you, 
or for other people as well. And you know that that part's a little bit shady, I guess, and if you want to say, but everyone's doing it already. Google does it, um, but it's just, at least you get something out of this. Whereas Google, you don't. So, uh, yeah, I think it's um, it's an interesting trade-off. I think. Like, well, the what's interesting about the the film industry now is that while a lot of them don't make their budget up in the states because. There's a variety of factors, um, movies that are just not very good or don't look appealing, um, or it's expensive to go out to the theater as opposed to staying home and renting a movie on whatever device you have or watching Netflix or something like that, uh, or just there's a bunch of factors. Um, but the big thing is something to consider, which is why I think this pass is kind of weirdly conceived it may help with like the domestic box offices, but overseas, most if it's a big action sci-fi or fantasy film or something, it goes nuts in in China. Like, like I mean, it makes its money back and then some. Like, there's some exceptions, but if it's loud and garish and has a lot of CGI, it's gonna do well in China. And that's not a dig at any of the Chinese audiences. It's just they didn't get a lot of movies up until recently. Yep. And that international box office is huge now. Like, movies like Jurassic World, they grossed something like, jeez, I don't know. I have to look it up. But it was quite a bit. But they broke from just international stuff. It was like a billion dollars alone. Uh, because there's a lot of there's a lot of room for that overseas. And, you know, it's not just China, but that's like the biggest consumer. Well, yeah, I mean, they have uh, of, the most of our people. pop culture. And also, I mean, yeah, the thing is, China has been more accepting of certain films. Obviously, it still goes to a pretty strict process of how it gets over there. Like, certain things can't happen in films. And that's also, I mean, obviously, this could be all, like, conspiracy and all that fun stuff. But it seems like you could tell that films are done in a way where, you know, they don't speak badly of certain places and stuff like that. And that's on purpose. because no, that's definitely a thing. Because it just shows that they care about an international audience now, so they don't want to disparage certain people. And in fact, it's funny because the United States tends to be the bad guys, or people within the United States are the bad guys now. Which, again, is actually, that's fine with me, but it's you can almost tell that it's almost on purpose. Because, you know... Well, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Well, they, they, they want to play to that uh, demographic, and, and I expect we'll probably see a lot of that coming up here in but, film. But... Yeah, I mean, the one point I wanted to say, though, is that, honestly, when it comes to, like, China and just the international markets, too, they're just not used to going to films as much as us in the States. Like, we've been going to films for so long, and we've had the privilege of having the economy where it supports it, where people can go do that kind of thing. Whereas in China, that wasn't always a thing. Um, and, I mean, they obviously had film, but it's just, like, it was very strict, and it wasn't the same as what they get now as much. So there's also that, too. So. Oh yeah. No, I mean a, a lot of films now will have like characters of Chinese descent in them, which you know, cool. But you can kind of tell it's almost like a pandering thing. Where uh, what comes to mind? Uh, the last Independence Day movie, which was a kind of stupid, <laughs> schlocky movie, but it was yeah. it was entertaining. It was entertaining in its own right. And it was just as stupid and schlocky as the first one, so I'm cool with that. And hey, at least it was actually a sequel and not just a soft reboot. But anyway, I digress. They had a token Chinese character in it, and it was a curious kind of addition, considering that was the only other country in the movie that had a presence, really. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty much the U.S. and China and no one else matters. And I thought the UK I, was I, mentioned. I thought London was in there. Didn't well, it? London gets destroyed. Yeah, pretty London gets destroyed. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, I mean it more <laughs> like in the uh, in the the character sense. You know, there yeah, was yeah. everyone was American or Chinese, and it was it was a little strange considering that in the first movie it was very international. Yeah, and I'm not sure we saw any Chinese stuff in the first movie. Now that I think about it, but it's a different time, I guess. I mean, um, I can't even think about that movie. It's been so long. No, I, 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 I remember so dumb crap. <laughs> but anyway, like you know, they they made it, uh, and that was pretty obviously for the Chinese market. And there's a lot of movies where they actually change scenes 
for the Chinese version to make it seem more focused on that character and so on. But we yeah. do that too, to be fair. Like we do that all the time as well. Yeah. If we get a movie from overseas, there's been quite a few that have done that. Um, I just, I just find it interesting that they, that it's kind of flipped on its head a little bit. The times have changed, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it's all about localization. I mean, that happens with stuff that we get from international. I mean, the only way you don't get localization is if you watch subtitle, which is usually the best way to watch a film if it's actually a good film. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, obviously, you don't want to see Independence Day 2 probably subtitled because you get the same thing. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, is that... But, yeah, when it comes to... The future of film though i mean i think a lot of companies thought the future was going to be more using like your cable subscriber and actually releasing films like that day like that friday that films would come out or wednesday or thursday or whatever day it comes out now it seems like they change it all the time all of a sudden but they they were trying to like experiment with this thing where it would go straight to your cable box where you could be able to rent um but unfortunately that wasn't working as well as they thought and also with people not subscribing to cable as much except for internet i mean i don't see that method working as much however with gaming consoles and being prevalent and also like apple tv and all those things like they could start making that push again where they could start releasing big budget films straight to the consumer and that would actually cut out a lot of marketing too so i mean that could be one thing in the future i think that could help hollywood in general get the money that they're seeking instead of having to realize it's straight on box office. I mean, well, it's definitely a solution. It's it's going to require some pretty drastic shifts, but the biggest thing, something that is... Every movie is made just to sell you something. It's there to get you in seats so they can advertise to you, and movies nowadays aren't even shy about it. Like, they put it right in the movie. Um, I mean, how could I forget the, the craving, the thirst I had for Mountain Dew... When in, in the famous, the, the, the award-winning film, Transformers, when the Mountain Dew machine turned into, turned into uh, a robot and shot Mountain Dew. Oh, man. Man, guys, I'm really thirsty for Mountain Dew now. But, um, it's, or, the, it's, or the new Ghostbuster movie. Like, I really want to pop a John's after that. So Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not even subtle. You know, it's, it's just kind of slam dunked in there. Um, by the way, this podcast is brought to you by Xbox, by Microsoft, Xbox. <laughs> it's a gameplay playing thing. Anyway, um, um, yeah, it, it's, it's in a weird place right now. I don't, I don't know. I think, I think the quality of films has dipped. There's still really good movies being made, but they get buried in the shuffle and there's less of them. But we also kind of asked for this. Like, we, we, we spent a lot of money as consumers going to see bad films. And I think... I the thing is, like, I don't, like, sorry to cut you off a little bit, but, I mean, at the same time, like, I almost think that we might actually be in the minority when it comes to our opinion about this, because I actually think there is a group of people that actually truly like these films that we're bashing on sometimes or not no, even bashing on or just criticizing. I mean, that's the thing is I think we're in the minority. I think there, there's like, there's like songs of people that want to see these films. So obviously there's a reason why they're doing it. And no, that's, that's a fact, Joe. I yeah. mean, that's not even what we're, yeah. we're just trying to look at the, the, the nitty gritty and yeah. it just that's the thing like and I try not to be mean because I know some people like some of the films I, I, I detest but but the, that doesn't mean there's not a place for those films some of yeah. the best entertainment I've had in my life is watching some garbage you know schlock fest but, but there's there's it can't all be like that and like the, the same point I've made before and I'll probably make it again just because a movie's summer blockbuster doesn't mean it has to be stupid. Like, I think people are smarter than they give themselves credit for. Maybe they might not immediately get a plot point, but the movie will still continue when they'll understand it eventually. I think movies need to stop just pandering to the lowest common denominator, thinking that 
if they conceive a film is too smart for them, they're not going to like it or something, which is just bananas because they're not going to, their opinion amounts to squat. They're going to complain to their friends, which are going to go see it anyway. You know, it's not, I don't, I don't know. I don't think we need to be dumb about it, I suppose, I guess. But that's the whole other discussion we've already had. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I think Hollywood could try to find that like happy medium where you can kind of make a action film that could be a little smart. I mean, the thing is, like, I feel like there's two extremes sometimes when it comes to filmmaking. It's either you go one extreme where you're too smart for your own good and you just pretty much create this film that pretty much amounts to almost like just a cluster. It's just you don't even know what you're trying to do anymore because you just get so deep into your thought of writing and directing that it just becomes this huge mess and then you go the other extreme where it's just dumb so it's just like you know I, and the thing is you almost are too smart where it ends up being dumb as well so no it's just, no that's that's exactly right there's a couple movies that hit a good medium and then there's a bunch of movies that don't so no i mean i i mean i could say interstellar for example kind of it was okay but it it had some neat concepts and it ran away with them a little too hard. It thought it was smarter than it actually was. Yeah. Um, you know, then there's, uh, I, I will sing the praises of this film all the time, but then there's Arrival, which was actually quite smart and clever and interesting. And it kind of kept its momentum the whole movie. It didn't felt Peter out. I didn't feel like the ending was unearned, um, which is nice because a lot of movies, you know, they might start strong and they end like a big wet fart. And that's, just how it goes. Yeah. You know, you know, guys, you know, it's crazy though, Joe, there's a good chance that 20 years from now, some of the movies we think are garbage, people are going to like, be like, oh my gosh, that movie is high art. And they're not going to be being ironic about it. They're going to dissect it like we do with movies like Alien or something like that. And like, look for the deeper meaning behind it all when it wasn't really intended. You know what I'm saying? I feel like people try to find that sooner than later, too, because, I mean, you could point back to movies that aren't even that old where people are trying to do that now with. Um, I mean, I can't, I wish I could think of a title right offhand, but it's just like, I just kind of see it casually where you just like go through like a thread, like maybe on Reddit or something like that, where someone's just like, oh, did you see this meaning in this film that happened like four years ago, where it's probably like one of the worst films you've ever seen but they somehow highlight that this is way deeper than anyone ever thought. So, well, I don't know. No, certainly, and that's going to happen. I mean, that probably did happen, but we didn't have the internet. Well, you know, yeah, so, in. so it travels quicker, and so that those types of things can get pointed out much quicker as well. So yeah. pretty much when something gets released, someone's already trying to find out the true meaning of this film. And mm-hmm. someone who really loves the film is going to try their best to defend it and find those high art things that no one else supposedly seen. So, um, yeah, that's hopefully, true. hopefully that happens with the Emoji movie. I'm really hoping for that. Um, uh, see some subtleties yeah. in that. Um, yeah, real subtle. There's, okay. a, there's I really hope of... this is a deeper meaning. Like, I think one of the emojis is the symbolism of God. I'm sure. So. We'll He's him. the god within us all. Yeah. It's uh, the melancholic face that lives within our hearts. Yeah. So speaking of like people that love emojis, how about fan bases? Am I right? Um, okay, I'm not sure that was a good segue. But, <laughs> uh, so basically, we've been noticing as a group just, just a kind of a trend, and it happens more and more lately, and I think a, the internet is a big part of it. Um, but fan bases. Now... When I say a fan base, I mean a group of people that really enjoys something in media. So, and and just in being a, a fan of something and being part of a fan base in itself is not bad. They've been around for a long time. There's a lot of uh, fan bases. And one of the more famous ones is, are Trekkies um, with Star Trek and things like that. They've been around a long time. But we're getting to the point now where certain things are coming out and they're developing a fan base. And that fan base is like dangerously toxic uh i'm not saying like oh I, I like star wars and i like other people that like star wars no these people are like you don't like the thing i like you should die for it or you're not doing it the way that i like to do it so you should die for it or and i wish i was joking but uh, there's a few examples but before i move on to those joe if you want to add a little bit 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's just we've, obviously it's not just in movies either. Gaming culture is the same way too. Yeah, if you're talking about sure. like Call of Duty or anything like that, like those communities are some of the most toxic communities that you could ever find. Especially if you talk about the a newer game, uh, Players Unknown Battleground. That has, oh my, like that community is already super toxic, and it's only been out for a few months. Um, probably some of the worst things you could ever hear are being spoken by the people within those um, within those groups, and it's just it's almost sickening sometimes if you think about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, the thing is that's going off a little bit the topic about how things should be done in certain ways. But the thing is, like that toxicity does leak to the developers, where they try to cater to certain people, and they tend to have to cater sometimes more to those toxic people because they're the ones that actually spend the money. So, I mean, it's just a, it's a weird dilemma sometimes. No, it's true. And, and if we're going to use a really recent example of a toxic fan base, it's uh, Overwatch. I am not criticizing people if you play Overwatch or enjoy it or anything like that. And if you're someone who just plays the game and has a good time, and yeah, maybe you get a little frustrated with your ranking once in a while, but you're not like going online and like death threat, you know, sending death threats to the developers or... Or, or, you know, creating really awkward 3D animated pornography uh, for the characters in the game. You know, that's that's a different story. Um, and, and that's kind of where it comes from, where it's not even just the elements in the game themselves that these people latch onto and uh, use to criticize or potentially harm others. It's, it's the, the internal, like functions or, or, or like motions of these characters they project on so hard uh overwatch is a series that has a very diverse cast of characters an international group and some you know non-human cre- uh things as well gorilla robot um uh, but it, it's it's it, it draws in a very diverse crowd because of that which in itself is not a bad thing it's just but you get you get people that they latch onto these characters so hard that they focus on the things that don't matter at all and get really upset if you disagree with them on it. You know, case in point, romances. Uh, one of the characters, Blizzard confirmed, was homosexual, which, you know, cool for diversity. But there were people that, like, I mean, said things online that I don't even understand how you can feel comfortable doing that even anonymously. It was it was so unbelievably callous that I I don't even understand it. It's a video game. Like that at the end of the day, the actions of these fictional characters don't affect your life in the slightest. Uh, it's a it's a strange thing to, to gravitate towards, and and it only gets channeled around and, and built up in these echo chambers that people create online with uh, you know their their uh, subreddits and, and forums and chats. Yeah. It's it's dangerous. It's it's. I'm worried that something's going to happen with some fan base that's going to actually cause like serious issue. Like a developer is going to get bombed or or something awful. And that's that's what worries me. That's why I'm drawing. We're drawing attention to this. Um, yeah. and, you know, it's not just Overwatch. That's actually one of the tamer ones compared to some of the ones that we could talk about. Yeah, I mean, Overwatch is considered... Like, the thing is, like... I don't know if Overwatch is as toxic as some gaming communities that I've been... That I've played, I would say. Overwatch is a little toxic. But overall, like, I don't think it is. I think Blizzard is making more of a deal of it than other publishers and developers. Honestly, a lot of them ignore it, to be quite honest. Um, mm-hmm. Valve is probably one of the ones that ignore it the most because they just let things go wild because that's how they feel things should be um doesn't mean that's the right move or the wrong move it's just the way that they decide to deal with it is that they just say hey community you go you guys do your own thing and you know self-monitor yourself and you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but the thing is usually when something bad does happen it does blow up and those people do get punished so doesn't mean they get punished by Valve, but they get punished by some other entity that makes it so that they can no longer play the game, or at least in some ways. Like, I know it happens in the competitive scene where if someone says things they shouldn't say, 
or if they are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, um, they tend to pretty much get exiled from the community. And I mean, that happens in Overwatch too. Um, that happens to some pros that said things that happens in StarCraft 2, happens in League of Legends. So, I mean, there is self-monitoring involved. Um, but, I mean, the thing is, I would say of all gaming, I, I would say Overwatch is probably still one of the more tamer ones. I would say League of Legends. Oh, yeah. I just um, picked a popular and, one. Yeah, I would say League of Legends and Counter-Strike are probably more toxic than those two. But the thing is, Overwatch does have the whole story thing involved, which can bring a whole different type of fan base yeah. into that as well so that's what you were pointing to so. yeah that's more what i'm talking about people yeah. are going to be assholes online no matter what game you're playing that's yeah. just, just the way that's it just is unfortunately fact. yeah like it's it's just anon- anonymity with you know a game where you're shooting other people they're there that's just how it is then it's sad but true um and that that's what i'm more talking about is it's not even just in games it's in television shows and and um but I am going to use another game as an example, um, um, Undertale, which is uh, an excellent, excellent experience, and I really recommend it. It's really cool. It's very unique, um, and I can't say enough nice things about it. But I feel because the fan base is so volatile about every little thing uh, involving that game, I'm afraid to ever engage with anyone on it because it spawned memes. It's quote-unquote, personally touched people uh, in ways, and, and, and they get extremely defensive about it um, to the point of, 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 like, just take a step back. It's just a game. It's a cool game, but, it, you know, it, I, I can understand having an entertainment medium kind of touch you in just the right way. There's certain old movies I watch that just, like, just, I just feel because I have such emotional attachment to them, but if someone criticizes... Uh, the land before time. I'm not going to threaten their lives. Um, you know, it, it's it's um, it's just a different issue. An example would be: uh, I am not a huge fan of um, like Twitch personalities, but a popular streamer was going to stream Overwatch or not Overwatch Undertale, and he was just playing it like you would play a game. And in Undertale. One of the cool draws to it is you don't have to harm a soul in the game. You can play the whole game peacefully, not hurt anybody. It's actually more entertaining in my opinion, but it doesn't really change the game too much, just the endings and how characters act towards you. Um, but the character was just playing it, and he, he killed somebody. And uh, oh, the, the, the chat went insane and you know called him out on it. It's a popular person. I wish I remember who this was. Um but I mean, he got like death threats and stuff mailed to him, and uh, things hacked because he didn't play a game the way they wanted him to play the game. Like it's 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 that's ridiculous. That's not healthy. Like, and I don't mean that like in a you know I'm talking down to the people unhealthy. That's the kind of weird issue that this stuff develops, and I think it's really just a symptom of the internet itself. Is that everyone just gets their opinions massaged? and kind of built up inside a chat room or something, and they they just think, oh, this is right, this is how it is, this is how it should be, when, in fact, you know, media is meant to be consumed any way you want. Yeah, I kind of don't like watching some people play games sometimes because they're really bad at it, but it's not my opinion to, you know, or my role to criticize them in a in a in such a profound way. So what? They play it differently. Oh, well. I, I guess it's just a... A symptom of just modern internet internet culture. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like, in general, I don't want to act like this is a thing, but it's just like I feel like people overreact almost on purpose these days. Where they, I mean, obviously there are problems, like in general when it comes to some things. But I mean, I feel like there's always an overreaction because they just want to be noticed, so they find a way to make their opinion heard in the most drastic or most bombastic way. And, I mean, that happens a lot when it comes to anything that deals with any type of media, in my opinion. Like, if it comes to, like, movies, music, or gaming, it seems like if something changes that people don't like, like, everyone's going to know about it. It's going to become news, I guess. And then, you know, people just won't live with things sometimes. Like, sometimes the change is actually necessary for things Mm -hmm. to actually keep 
going or surviving. And the thing is, and that's the thing is like the type of creators that can ignore those things are usually the ones that do the best in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So no, I agree. Like it's, it, it's an outrage culture and this just feeds off that it's, it's uh i've said it before it's all binary everything's either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever there's no in between and and that's what happens when we think that way um no that's that's definitely right that's definitely right um yeah it's just a it's a weird time we live in i guess and we at our website now so we want we just want to bring this stuff up so, so we can think a little more critically about it instead of just this is terrible or this is awesome. We just want to be level-headed and that's kind of one of the goals that we have. That's why we have these podcasts. It's not meant to be like a criticism of things people like. I you know, I, if you like if you like Undertale, that's fine. I like Undertale. You know, I'd say I'm even a fan of it, but I I don't want to associate with people that are are so volatile about it or and even if they are overreacting about it intentionally that still feeds the people that are actually react overreacting in a, a natural way. Like that makes them feel more justified because, well, Hey, this YouTuber is getting really mad about this thing that doesn't matter. So I should care about it more. And you know, it, it gets, it's all sorts of things. It just gets blown up. I, I, we live in outrage culture and it's only going to get worse. And it's not even just in pop culture, but that is not what we talk about. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is, like, it's just the mob mentality thing. It, it happens with everything where you have someone that's a prominent figure who tends to talk about things in a way that is commanding and people will latch onto the smallest things and use it against other people that might like that thing or, you know, they know that what's the right way or wrong way with that type of, like, platform. I mean, like, that happens with a lot of things, to be quite honest, when it comes to games. Um... I mean, that's how a lot of change happens is because someone will complain about the smallest thing and there's enough complaining that after a year it might eventually get changed through the way they want it um, just because they complain so much. Um, but yeah, I, I would say in general, it's just a mom mentality out there when it comes to certain things, especially when it comes to YouTube. Um, I mean, that's where a lot of people, especially younger people, get a lot of their, not I wouldn't say news, but opinions. That's where they get their opinions from. So, mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, they get their news from it too. Yeah, well, it's, I don't want to call it news, but they get their. Well, opinions. it's it's not news, but it's news to them. So, yeah. well, the thing is, like, it's it's I don't opinions aren't news in my opinion. So. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah, so but, that's but the thing. That's, but some people, that's that is news to them. Yeah, that's not correct. But yeah, no, I know a few people that they get their opinions from other people, and what no matter what those beliefs may be, they. They think they have their own beliefs, but they don't. They get their beliefs from other things. Yeah. And I think that it's fine to listen to others. And, and uh, you know, I have, I have people that I watch on YouTube. I love Red Letter Media and a few other things. But I don't get all of my opinions from them. Or, like, I might agree with something somebody says. Or, or I might disagree. Or I might agree yeah. a lot. And, you know, you, that doesn't mean I get the opinion from them. And, and I know that you don't do that. And we just... I mean, I, I think we're all a victim of it in some capacity, and like, just we were just might not realize it sometimes. Like, obviously, this people will say something, and then you'll gravitate towards it because, like, oh, you're right. And then, but the thing is, like, you don't. Sometimes you might not have actually had that idea before, but you hear them say it, and then, like, you we could have been thinking about it this whole time, but you just didn't know how to put it in words. So mm -hmm. it, it could be. I mean, I think it could be a combination of the two. But oh, yeah. I mean, I know I've, I know I've been victim of it before where well not victim, but just like in general, I'll watch something and be like, oh, man, I totally agree with that. But I didn't really have the opinion before I came in there. But for some mm -hmm. reason, the words that the word the way that they structure their argument and the words for what like they were talking about made me kind of sway their way. So, yeah, I just you can take that information and just try to use it to learn more i guess yeah. don't just take everything by as gospel yeah for but that's sure. not even remotely at all what we're talking about no, right now so not at all. yeah we kind of decided to go on this weird deep end conversation about opinions so yeah but uh yeah i mean i think that kind of wraps it up for this podcast um you know it's been 
a little bit different since it's only the Frank and I. But uh, you know, the next one we're gonna be hopefully working around some schedules, and hopefully Brent figures out how to turn on the monitor. So, <laughs> um, you know, our next next one will be hopefully next week. Um, we haven't figured out the exact date, but we're hopefully gonna get back to a schedule where we'll be doing this at least once a week. Um, Ideally. Yeah, ideally, and you know, hope and actually not hopefully, we will be making a Facebook page for this because you know that's one thing we've been missing. We already have a Twitter, we have our website, um, but we do not have a Facebook page, which is a big oversight, I think, on our end. So, but if you want to check us out, we're at batteriesfullycharged.com. And then we also are on Twitter at BF Charge. And we do have our Twitch channel as well, which is, is it twitch.tv slash batteries fully charged? Batteries fully charged, correct. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's our social media at the moment. And hopefully we'll have a Facebook page up soon. Um, I think that's something we should get on. And then, um, you know, we'll be hopefully doing this once a week. So until next time, guys. Thank you guys so much. Bye.